Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to OCC. If, if I've not met you before, my name is Pastor Josh Delarosa. Last week, we actually began a new series of messages looking at how Jesus defined greatness differently than the world does. When, whenever Jesus was asked this question by his disciples, uh, this is the question found in Matthew 18.1, the question is, so who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, his answer must have come as a surprise because what prompted this question from his disciples was a lot of bickering back and forth, a lot of jockeying for position and status. And Jesus' answer was not at all what this group really expected. You see, in his teachings, Jesus actually highlighted four different types of people who he described as those who are great or will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And so last week we began by looking at the first uh, type of person, the humble person. And you can find that message on our website if you missed it. Uh, That'll give you some context for this whole series that we're in. Today we're going to move now to the second type of person that... Jesus described as, as one of the great ones. And we'll begin by looking at Matthew chapter 20, specifically verses 20 through 28. We're going to stay primarily there. We'll look later on in a few other verses, but this is where we're going to be most of the time today. Now, I'm sure you've heard the phrase pecking order, uh, but here's what the phrase actually means. It's, it's a hierarchy of status seen among members of a group or people or animals, originally as observed among hens. Now, I'm not a farmer, and I'm guessing most of you are city folk, but... You know, we might actually have a few exceptions, but in, in, in case you're wondering, how does the pecking order actually work? Uh, I read this quote from Modern Farmer. The pecking order is literally determined by pecking. Bigger, stronger, and more aggressive chickens bully their way to the top and of the flock by pecking the others into submission with their pointy beaks. Uh, first, they strut about, fluff their feathers, and squawk, but if that doesn't get the point across, They peck, and it it can get violent. Sometimes blood is drawn. Occasionally, the opponent is killed. So the purpose of the pecking order is to determine who eats first, and then in what order do the other chickens eat. Uh, Then who sleeps where? The pecking order determines eating and sleeping. This is so interesting. I want to show you a video. Don't worry. As far as I can tell, no chickens were seriously harmed in the making of this. But check out this video of, of the pecking order. That big old bird in the middle is Mary, and what she's doing, have you heard that saying, establishing the pecking order? That's what she's doing. She's going around showing the other new chickens who's boss that we've just introduced to the flock. She's going, I'm the big one. Do as I say. It looks a bit cruel, but that's just what they do. She's just giving a, a, a little little notice that she's she's the queen. Oh, Mary. Right. We'll settle down in a day or two. So as you can see, even chickens jockey for position. And you know what? This just comes naturally to us as well. Let's take a look at this passage in Matthew 20, verse 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, this is James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, approached him with her sons, approached Jesus with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. 
What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right, the other on your left, in your kingdom. Now this lady, her name is Salome, she happens to be Mary's sister. So Jesus is, this makes her Jesus' aunt. So you see how this adds an interesting dynamic to this request that she's asking. Don't, don't need to raise any hands, but maybe some of you have, can identify with this situation in some way. Maybe you have family dynamics that get tense, maybe get really pointed, and you might even call this sort of politicking, family politicking. And so in the story, it gets political. In comes the aunt. Now, I have a few aunts that if they were to ask me, they have a far better chance of getting what they want than my cousins do because they treated me great when I was a kid growing up. So here comes the aunt to Jesus, and she asked for her sons to be granted the position of authority. Now, for a king in those days, uh, the positions to the left and to the right were usually reserved for those officials and those advisors who were the wisest and who were the strongest. And it's almost like she rolls out a contract and she's sort of like, hey, can we just make this official right now, right here, and announce that James and John, my sons, will hold these positions of power. And she just promised, she says, promised. What a bold request. Maybe when you were a kid, you outmaneuvered your siblings and you asked your mom or you asked your dad from inside the house, hey, hey, mom, I've got some things I really want to talk to you about. Uh, on the drive up to uh, Northern California, and I know it's a long drive, but I, I've really got some things I want to talk about. So you think I could sit in the front? So you step outside the house with your siblings, and someone yells, shotgun! And mom says, yeah, actually, Josh and I need to talk about something. And so, uh, you know, he, he's going to sit in the front. And in that way, I've outmaneuvered my sibling. Now, maybe you've done that before. Now, the timing of this request is really interesting. All the disciples have spent at least two years serving with Jesus. Some would say at least two years, if not more than that, somewhere between two and three years, traveling with Jesus, ministering with Jesus. And now they're heading to Jerusalem, and everyone is assuming, all his disciples are assuming that Jerusalem will begin a shift. Jesus is actually going to claim his kingdom. That's what the disciples imagined. And the thought would have been, Hey, we've been serving with Jesus for a couple of years. We're done serving. We're done helping. We're done ministering. We've done our part. Now it's time to be served by the rest of the group. And that sort of motivated people to want to push for status. So have you ever had this thought for yourself? I put in my time. I, I've served. I've done my part. And now it's time to assume my position as chicken number one. Others just need to sort of follow and get get in line. And, you know, we can actually adopt a similar mindset. We can adopt this attitude at home where we think, man, we're chicken number one. Or we can adopt that attitude at church or wherever you find yourself. It's tempting to sort of slip into the thinking that these brothers had and think, you know, I kind of deserve to be in the position of power. So let's keep reading. Verse 22, Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. And he turns, he's directing these comments now to uh, these sons, James and John, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, what's he talking about? Well, just before this request, here's what we read. Backing up a few verses, take a look at verse 17 in this chapter. It says, While going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the twelve disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, 
See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man, that was his title for himself, will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and on the third day, he will be raised. Now, Jesus had just told them this is what's going to happen. Going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over. Now, they don't want to believe that. They, they had a totally different picture in their mind. But he's saying, look, I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to suffer. And so this is often referred to as the cup of suffering. Jesus turns to them and he says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And I want you to understand that this is more than just the physical pain and the anguish of the cross, which is a would have been a painful, excruciating experience. Jesus had, uh, you know, certainly wouldn't have been looking forward to that, the suffering, the physical suffering. But there's more here. Jesus had never sinned, not even once. He was tempted, he was tried, he was tested, but he never sinned. Not not even one time. So imagine the agony of of taking the full punishment of the sin of the whole world upon himself and then hanging on a cross to die for it. He died for sinners. He was willing to pay the penalty for our rebellion, the sin of the world. And so he, he looks at these these brothers, and he asks them, are you ready to suffer like I intend to? And now for those two brothers, this sort of sounded like a challenge when Jesus said, are you able to drink this cup? And look at their response. We're able, they said to him. Verse 23 reads, he told them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those who, for whom it has been prepared. By my Father. So Jesus just sort of slams the door shut on this request and says, This is actually God the Father's call. Now, I don't know who's going to occupy the places of honor in heaven to the right and to the left of Jesus, but, but I think we'll be surprised. And what we know very clearly is that God reserves those places of honor. It's actually His sovereign choice. If you or I were given this opportunity, it would be a waste of a request to ask for these places because God chooses these places according to his own plan. Let's look at verse 24. When the disciples heard this, they became indignant. Indignant is a word that just means more than angry. It means furious. So they became indignant with the two brothers. So why? Well, it's because they all wanted to be in those positions to the right and to the left. They were angry that they had been beaten to that request. And so if James and John, these brothers, were to secure those spots, this group would have then been envious. And so they were indignant with the brothers. Verse 25, it says, Jesus called them over and said, now you see this phrase often, Jesus brought them to himself or Jesus called them over, essentially saying, hey guys, come here, listen up. And he's basically saying, look, there's something really important I want to say. So he called them over and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. There's there's a way that seems so familiar. We we naturally all try to step up and forward and keep moving up in rank. And we're willing to step on anyone who gets in our way. That's the pattern of the world. Jesus said, this is the way the world does it. But catch what he says. Verse 26, it must not be like that among you. He says, you are to live differently. Jesus could say, look, haven't I demonstrated a new way, a different way? And then he goes on to teach the principles 
of the passage. So throughout verse 26 and on. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So the servant is really, the Greek word is uh, diakonos. It just means a table waiter. It's, it's, it's someone who is like an attendant. Now a good waiter at a restaurant is not in a hurry. They're not rushing. Uh, they're actually, they're waiting on you. They're paying attention. The best waiters are paying attention to your needs as a patron. Uh, they're checking your drinks. They're bringing your bread. They're making sure you don't need anything else. They're really genuinely waiting on you. They're paying attention to your needs. That's the role of the servant. Verse 27, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. In those days, there were two types of slaves in the, and essentially there were those who were born into slavery and then there were those who put themselves into slavery in order to be cared for and provided for. For example, if a person had spent too much money and they couldn't provide for themselves anymore, they could indenture themselves and live a life indentured servitude, of indentured servitude. And with these types of, of slaves, these people had no rights. They sacrificed and gave up their rights in order to fulfill the needs and the will of their master. And so Jesus, he describes, and this is the shocking surprise, that the truly great ones are those who sacrifice their own needs for the goals, interests, and concerns of others. Those are the great ones. And then Jesus ends with this, verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does Jesus do? Well, he serves his life all the way until the very end, his final act is to exchange, to be a ransom for sinners. His life was offered for our lives. And this really challenges the assumption that we grow out of serving, that we uh, can sort of wrap things up after uh, having served a little bit or or even for a few years. Jesus is challenging this. He basically said, this is why I'm here. I've come to serve, to sacrifice. Here's a key idea that I want us to wrestle with. It's that in life, we often encounter opportunities for either manipulative maneuvers or sacrificial ministry. And these choices in life, they just keep coming up over and over all the days of our life. So let's spend the rest of our time looking at how to practically develop the heart of a servant in some specific ways. The first one is this. As you pray and stay in God's Word. You know, regular Bible reading and prayer is the best way to develop the heart of a servant. When we're rushing or when our prayer life and Bible reading gets crowded out of the life of a Christ follower, what happens is you just end up running your own plans, your own playbook, not God's. Look at Jesus' model prayer, Matthew 6, 9. Uh, We'll look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray and and he, he, he tells them, therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer and Bible reading focuses our day on God's kingdom and God's will. Start now. I just encourage you, if you've never begun this habit, get started. If you, if you do this already, then keep going. Think of think of this sort of like your meal time. It's something you, you just can't miss. Another thing about developing the heart of a servant is to daily look out for opportunities. So flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, Paul's writing to the church in, in modern day Turkey, the city of Ephesus. 
ancient city. And he writes this to the church. Pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time. Because the days are evil. So as you see, Paul is saying, look prayerfully. He's writing this to the church. He's saying, prayerfully go about your day. Keep your eyes open and alert. Looking around. Seeing the opportunities. Asking God to show you the opportunities that he's bringing your way. Sometimes our schedules we get can get so locked in that no opportunities to serve other people can ever break through. But when you read the life of Jesus, you just see he was willing to actually allow for interruptions. He modeled this. And so I'd encourage you to keep your eyes and your heart just open. But this season we're living through right now, if you think about it, this season is rich with opportunities. Anywhere from seeing a need here at church, just amongst people that are you're sharing life with, or or listening to a coworker, walking a little more slowly, and, and taking the time to listen to a coworker who's maybe walking through a hard time, or, or maybe it has to do with offering a meal to someone dealing with COVID. Uh, you know, as we have people who've contracted COVID in our church, it just provides a serving opportunity for people to care for others in very specific ways, bring a meal, pray for people, get some groceries. Uh, by the way, if you do hear of people in our church here at OCC that are dealing with COVID, uh, please let us know. We would love to, to know which of our church families are dealing with COVID so we can reach out to them and aim to, to help provide care to them as well. Uh, we're keeping a current list, and, and, and so we just we would love it if you would keep us uh, notified as you hear of any families dealing with COVID. Finally, third thing, to develop the heart of a servant, remain ready to respond. In Psalm chapter 32, we see some helpful perspective. In other words, we're to be ready to say yes to God whenever he guides you to serve. Look at Psalm 32 verse 8. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. You need to be, and we need to be, um, led. We need to be ready to respond, staying close to the Lord, uh, staying near to Him. As we do that, He says, I'll give you the, the guidance you need. I'll give you, I'll show you the way to go. I'll instruct you. I'll give you the counsel you need. Sometimes what God does as we are walking with Him and just staying ready to respond, we're, we're alert. Sometimes God says, go. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says slow. Essentially, those are the three options. Opportunity pops up and God says, hey, go right now. Jump in, serve, meet that need today, this very moment. That's been the case some of the times. Sometimes God will say to me, no. Sometimes it's just really clear that he's made me aware of a situation, an opportunity, but God's plan is he intends someone else to meet that need. And and so I don't address it. I don't step in. Sometimes God directs us to just slow down. And it's sort of like a not right now. Maybe it's just that I'm praying for a situation, praying for a person, praying about that opportunity. But I'm waiting on God to direct me. But but the key here is I'm, I'm ready to respond. Now, here's a good caution in this regard. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Interesting verse. In, uh, verse 27. It says, When it is in your power... Don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Don't say to your neighbor, 
Go away. Come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when it is there with you. So sometimes God just points out the opportunity and, and, and you realize it's within my power to meet this need. In those cases, just do it. Don't, don't let it cool off. Instead, be a blessing as God prompts you and trust God to meet your needs. You know, opportunities are just abounding in life as you walk through life. What, what a rough year we have had. And so many of you, you have displayed the attitude and the actions of sacrificial servants. And I, I just want to commend you. I, it really honors God. As, as your pastor, I am so encouraged by the number of servants that we have in our church. Uh, so many people pour out their time, their energy to serve the people of OCC and those who visit here. And I'm so grateful for you. Some days uh, people roll in, whether it's the weekend service or come to an event, they drag themselves to this event. They are exhausted. They sit down and, and they need encouragement. They need perspective. And, and we have a number of, a huge number of people who serve. People that are serving our kids zone ministry. People that are serving all of our setup and teardown teams. People that are setting the table in a sense for our refreshments. Welcoming guests and on and on and on. And aren't you grateful for the many people who serve here in our congregation? There are folks that, that took the time to get up hours before anyone else in order to set the stage for worship, to put things together for, for all that we do. And so we're just so grateful. You know, this, this issue of, of developing the heart of a servant, this is what Jesus says is the way that the great ones live. This is just the lifestyle. They live a lifestyle of service. And I want to encourage you to grow in this area of service. Uh, Jesus said the great ones are the humble. And today, you know, we're looking at service. Next couple of weeks, we're going to look at two other quality types of people that Jesus said they're the great ones as well. And so, hey, I want to look at some next steps for today as we, as we wrap things up. First one is just, how can you be more aware of the needs around you? Just reflect on that question. It might be just a shift in your schedule, maybe a shift in your, your daily focus. But consider, what, what, what do I need to do to be more aware of the opportunities to serve? Second thing is, get real specific. Choose to bless someone specifically. And I would encourage you to just consider, how would you feel in that sentence there? Choose to bless so-and-so by doing, doing what? Think really, really specifically. I hope that as we've looked at this, that maybe God has put in your mind uh, the focus of, of who you can serve this week. So let, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this passage and this, this story of these brothers who are trying to gain a position of power and influence. Uh, but they're wanting to leap ahead and, and do it in the world's way. God, help us to take note of, of this story. Help it to uh, challenge us, Lord. We don't want to uh, follow that example of just trying to uh, lord over others and to manipulate and maneuver in order to get what we want. We, we would, uh, we want to follow the lead that Jesus, uh, set as he served and as he sacrificed. Lord, help us to be, um, aware and, and looking today and this week for those opportunities that you place before us uh, for us to step into active service. Lord, help us, God. We also just lift up the many, many concerns that are on our hearts, whether related to COVID, whether related to uh, just trouble in our world, um, conflict, uh, division. Father, we just, we need uh, you to bring peace, to bring
to rescue. We need you to bring clarity and wisdom uh, and help. So, Father, we ask you for those things now. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, how we can look to your word and it gives us a firm footing. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.